evening and welcome to the 506th episode of Travel Witch Radio. I'm your host, Dan Schlossberg, along with co-host Mary Ellen Nugent Lee. And we are in the 12th season of Travel Witch Radio, the show that lets you enjoy the pleasures of travel from the comfort of your armchair. Every week at this time, we talk to people representing destinations, hotels, airlines, railroads, car rental companies, and others in the world of travel and hospitality. From authors and bloggers to broadcasters and publicists, if it's got anything to do with travel, it's got everything to do with Travelage Radio. And tonight, we proudly present Jonathan Smith of the East Broadtop Railroad. Welcome, Jonathan, to Travelage Radio. Good evening. Thank you for having me. We're glad you're here. You know, everyone who listens to Travelage Radio knows we love anything that runs on tracks streetcars, trolleys, monorails, funiculars, and especially steam railroads. So we're thrilled to talk about the East Broadtop Railroad. Would you tell our listeners exactly where it is and where it goes? The East Broadtop Railroad is nestled in the heart of central Pennsylvania. It was built in 1872, over 150 years ago this year, and was originally built to service the iron and coal industry in south-central Pennsylvania. Uh, It eventually was uh, built to a 33-mile main line from from Mount Union, Pennsylvania, all the way down to Robertsdale, Pennsylvania. And it was built narrow gauge, which means that the rails are three feet apart instead of standard gauge, which is four feet, eight and a half inches, like you would ride on an Amtrak or commuter train. So... Uh, it lasted as a freight railroad until 1956 when it was closed and then reopened several years later as a tourist attraction where you could go, and it was one of the few places left in the country where you could ride behind a steam engine nearly every day. Um, now, out of that original 33 miles, we take visitors on a four-and-a-half-mile, nine-mile round trip through through the scenic Alwick Valley based out of the railroad's headquarters in Rock Hill Furnace, Pennsylvania. Central Pennsylvania is coal country, so obviously there's a connection to your railroad. Is it true your railroad actually got started before the Civil War? That's right. So the the rails construction didn't begin until 1872, but the railroad was actually chartered in 1853. And the reason why was that the iron industry was really booming in south-central Pennsylvania. The, The railroad is situated in a valley that's geologically blessed with all the the minerals and raw materials that are needed for iron production. Unfortunately, the Civil War and the financial woes that came with it really put its construction on hold until afterward. Um, And then the iron industry that it was originally built to support ended up fading out several decades after its construction, making it pivot to primarily hauling coal. And that's what allowed it to last right up until the 50s, which was a miracle, really. Now, Jonathan, Broadtop Mountain is a plateau in Pennsylvania, halfway between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Is the railroad named after that? It is. Broadtop Mountain is home to one of the East Coast's largest fields of bituminous coal, and the the founders of East Broadtop knew this. And the name East Broadtop literally comes from the railroad going up the east side of Broadtop Mountain to tap into those rich coal fields. And, and why did the founders choose narrow gauge? 
So narrow gauge at the time, back in the 1870s and 80s, was a relatively new uh, but very popular trend for mountain railroads. And the reason being that the equipment is three-quarters the size of a standard gauge railroad, allowing the rails and the locomotives and cars and trains to traverse sharper curves, which generally means that it can tap into these mountainous areas much more cost-effective than, than a standard-gauge railroad where you'd normally have to dig a tunnel. You could just go around it, where you'd have to build a bridge. You could snake down the valley and come up the other side. So really, it boils down to money. But the mm -hmm. East Broadtop now is the oldest operating narrow-gauge railroad anywhere in the United States. Was there ever a need to convert to standard-sized trucks, wheels for your cars? So it's an interesting piece of EVT history. One of the things that put narrow-gauge railroads out of business uh, was the fact that you can't take those train cars anywhere else. The narrow-gauge train cars have to stay on the narrow-gauge railroad. And oftentimes that meant that they had to pay people to shovel out the coal and the other minerals from the cars into a standard-gauge car if they were shipping it anywhere else. They had to unload the boxcar and load another boxcar, and that takes time, right? Time is money. And so a lot of narrow-gauge railroads ended up either converting to standard-gauge or uh, simply abandoning altogether because of that, that cost. The East Broadtop actually survived for two main reasons. One, a lot of its customers were along the railroad, so there really wasn't a need to ship the coal anywhere else or ship the other the raw materials anywhere else because it was all going along the railroad itself. And also, they actually monetized that transloading process, and they did that in two ways. One, they built a huge coal washing plant where when they were dumping the coal out of the narrow-gauge cars, it had to be cleaned anyway before it was sent to the power plants, other industries that were using it. So they cleaned it right then and there, and they were able to cut out a step of the process right away. And the second way that they were able to survive a lot longer than other narrow-gauge railroads was that they actually would lift standard-gauge cars off of its wheels and put narrow-gauge wheels underneath them. And so you can imagine a fairly wide standard-gauge train car on three-foot, you know, wheels. That's somewhat interesting and, and kind of crazy, but it worked, and they put them right behind the engine so they could keep an eye on it. But at any given time, there could have been dozens of standard-gauge cars floating around the EBT just as much as their narrow-gauge equipment. So the EBT survived a lot longer than other narrow-gauge railroads on the East Coast, and that's because they were just creative, and they had this desire to, to survive, and they were making just enough money to do that without really needing to invest in standard-gauging. So, Great. We're talking with Jonathan Smith of the East Broadtop Railroad. Jonathan, there were all kinds of problems in the East Broadtop's early years, strikes and floods, for example, and didn't it also change ownership a few times? So the railroad company itself uh, lasted from 1872 when the rails construct were constructed all the way until 1956. And, yes, as, as you mentioned, railroads and uh, their uh, financial situation very much mirrored the, the economy of the country. So as the, rail, as the nation had more demand for coal and production, of course, railroads did well. And in times of economic uncertainty, railroads didn't. Uh, and then, of course, there were the microcosms of, of strikes and, and natural disasters. So 
railroads were always a, a boom bust boom bust kind of cycle but the ebt survived for quite a while and that's a trend you'll keep hearing but in the 1950s post-world war ii it was definitely certain that that much like the other rail, a lot of short line railroads around the country, it's, it's time was coming up with the competition of trucks and, and highways. And, and um, the EBT, even in 1956, was an antique. At that point, it was running steam engines built in the 1910s and 20s and had wooden passenger cars. And so while the rest of the world was kind of moving on, the EBT was holding on. And Unfortunately, its end, it met its end in April of, of 1956, but something miraculous happened. It was sold to a scrap dealer who, at that point, had scrapped hundreds of miles worth of railroads in his career. He was responsible for ripping the rails up and demolishing buildings and selling whatever he could, and Nick Kowalczyk was his name with the Kowalczyk Salvage Company, and, but so he comes in, he buys the EBT in its entirety, he buys the mines, he buys the railroad, the equipment, the structures, everything that goes with it, and nothing happened, and nothing happened. And one year goes by, and two years goes by, and the locals notice that nothing happened to the railroad. It's not running, but it's also not being ripped up for scrap. And the Kowalczyk family decided in 1960 to reopen it to the public, and I don't think we'll ever know exactly why Nick Kowalczyk decided to do that, but he, there is the story that his son Joe tells that Nick had always wanted a train set growing up, and he was <laughs> never quite you know, rich enough to buy one of those expensive Lionel train sets. And so when he made his fortune in scrapping, and several decades later he had the money to buy this real train set that had steam engines and wooden passenger cars that looked exactly like the one he would have bought. So he held on to it. He saved it. And thank God he did. <laughs> wasn't wasn't your first route on the main line of the Pennsylvania Railroad, and wasn't that like a meeting between the minor and the major leagues of baseball? That's a it's a good analogy for it. I mean, the the Pennsylvania Railroad uh, railroads in general work a lot like like the the uh, nation's airports. It's a good comparison. So you fly out of your small regional airport to get to the large hub and then you take the big plane from one hub to the next hub and then you take your small plane from that hub to wherever you're going and the the nation's railroads were very similar you had these small veins that were uh, taking the coal straight out of the mountain completely unprocessed and then shipping them to the very large uh, arteries that were the pennsylvania railroad the uh, the santa fe i mean all of these big big transcontinental railroads uh, were fed by little railroads like the EBT. The nation's economy really starts right here in central Pennsylvania where the coal comes out of the ground and it gets shipped to market. Well, is it true that one of your old roadbeds was actually used as a foundation for the Pennsylvania Turnpike? How'd that happen? So not not the roadbed necessarily, but what, what did end up happening was um, as the Pennsylvania Turnpike, which is, you know, a state-long toll road, uh, the, the, rail, the Pennsylvania Turnpike was built on a roadbed that was built for uh, the South Penn Railroad. It was supposed to be a competitor for both the Pennsylvania Railroad, the New York Central. It was kind of envisioned to be a grand, very well-engineered statewide railroad. That 
never quite came to fruition. But the state ended up purchasing most of that right-of-way, and it was uh, turned into what we now know as the, the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Where our railroad fits into that story is that, um, as you can imagine, back in the, I believe it was the 30s, when that road was being constructed, there was not a lot of infrastructure around South Central Pennsylvania. There it was really very rural. It still is, but not as rural as it was. And turns out that the little narrow gauge East Broadtop was the closest railhead to some of the most difficult parts of that road to construct. There were several tunnels, lots of mountains. And so the EBT ended up being quite an important artery to get some of that material from the Pennsylvania Railroad down through the, narrow, through the Alwick Valley over the Shade Gap branch and down to the closest place they could get. And a lot of that material was shipped by standard gauge rail car where they used that process I described earlier, where they lifted the car off with a crane and rolled out its standard gauge trucks and put its narrow gauge trucks underneath it. That was all, all done to help support the construction of the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Hmm. Now, Jonathan, how did World War II influence the East Broadtop Railroad? So as as I mentioned before, you know, the railroad's economy and the nation's economy really uh, are, are tied together. And what's fascinating is that when we say the East Broadtop is, is remarkably complete, we don't just mean the buildings and the equipment and, and the, the railroad. We mean that we have all the documents, the records, the payroll ledgers, the board of directors minutes, maps, drawings. Our archival record is, is incredibly intact as well. And in that, we definitely have a lot of the correspondence from the war era uh, that, that, for example, a lot of railroads around the country were requisitioned by the U.S. government. They were basically taken under the control of the Defense Department because they were so vitally important to keeping the nation moving in order to keep war production going, in order to keep coal moving. It was of vital interest to the United States government to keep railroads like the East Broadtop running. So that meant keeping the men employed that ran it. That meant uh, ensuring that they got the supplies they needed to keep the wheels turning. Uh, of course, there was rationing going on and all of that, but we have the letter in our archives that, you know, declares the EBT is under the control of the Defense Department. And, you know, that was a lot of railroads around the country. It was not uncommon, but for a little narrow-gauge railroad that by all rights probably shouldn't have existed anymore, it was quite an honor for the EBT to have been uh, – so – War, in, in some instances, was definitely a, a shot in the arm for the EBT. Of course, post-World War II, as, as the nation started becoming, you know, reliant on truck and, and cars and, and even airplanes, uh, the dependence of, of America's travelers and, and shippers on rail was diminishing. And unfortunately for the EBT, right towards the end of the war and into the, into the 50s, um, a lot of their customers were switching from coal to natural gas or, or diesel or, or gasoline. So um, the, the demand for coal post-World War II, at least from the EBT, fell significantly, and it probably was the beginning of the end. Mm. We're talking with Jonathan Smith of the East Broadtop Railroad. Now, now, Jonathan, what happened when the Rock Hill Coal Company finally closed its mines? Didn't the East Broadtop Railroad stop operating just a few days before its centennial? So uh, the, the EBT's remarkably long life as a, as a freight carrier, the common carrier railroad, was really just due to its 
due to the massive amount of, of coal that was being shipped. Um, and, mm -hmm. and yes, the EBT, uh, when, the, when the Rock Hill, because you have to remember, the East Broadtop Railroad and Coal Company not only ran the railroad, but it ran the iron furnace uh, back, in, back when that was in production in the early, at the turn of the century. And then, of course, it switched to primarily running the mines up in Robertsdale, and that employed hundreds and hundreds of, of men and, and kept the economies of all of these towns going. And as, as you can imagine, when, when those stopped production in, in 1956 um, or, or shortly thereafter, uh, that was that was a blow to, to the economy of, of this entire county, of this entire region. And uh, we are fortunate that now in the 21st century, um, tourism is helping to take that place, but nothing quite fills fills the void of, of coal, of, you know, overnight almost, a mine closing down and hundreds of folks losing their jobs, not to mention the railroad closing. Um, you know, it, it's hard to imagine it now but just how dependent these communities were, and, and some still are, on coal production. It's, it's remarkable. Jonathan, because cars and engines were spared from the scrap heap, didn't railroad operations resume in time for the bicentennial of the town of Orbisonia? And weren't standard gauge tracks laid by an organization called Railways? So... In 1960, as I mentioned earlier, something miraculous happened. The EBT was reopened as a tourist attraction. And um, the reason the story goes that the towns of Rock Hill and Orbisonia, where the railroad's headquarters is located, were celebrating their bicentennial. And they said, hey, Nick Kowalczyk, Mr. Kowalczyk, we noticed that you haven't scrapped the railroad yet. Would you want to put a locomotive on display so that the public can see it? And he said, well, I'll I'll do you one better. I'll fix up some track and I'll run some trains and thousands of people showed up. It got press nationally, internationally. And the reason being is that it, it's the last original narrow gauge railroad east of the Mississippi. And, and even in, back then, people knew its significance. So um, Nick said, well, that's pretty remarkable. Why don't we do it again next year and next year and the next year and the next year? And so that kickstarted the next several decades of the EBT's history as a tourist attraction. And then, yes, uh, in 1963, an organization called Railways to Yesterday, they uh, approached Mr. Kowalczyk and said, hey, we are saving some trolley, some trolley cars from various towns around Pennsylvania. We don't have anywhere to put them, and you have a big railroad with a lot of property. Would you mind if we put some trolley cars on your property as a display for your passengers? And Nick, you know, said, not only will I let you do that, but we have a former railroad right-of-way that the East Broadtop used to run on, why don't we rebuild that, this time standard gauge, so that you can run your trolleys, and you can actually become the first operating trolley museum in Pennsylvania. So the Rock Hill Trolley Museum has been on our property since 1963. And while there was never an electric streetcar running in Rock Hill originally, they're definitely uh, part, of the, part of the railroad story, a fascinating part of the railroad story. They've got 24, I think, nearly 24 cars in their collection. They've got 11 of them that operate pretty frequently. So in one place, you can go see America's industrial story in a fairly comprehensive way. I want to tell our listeners, you're listening to Travelish Radio with Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Nugent Lee. To us on iTunes or blogtalkradio.com or check out the archive show anytime on Facebook. And tonight we're talking with Jonathan Smith, of the East Broadtop Railroad. 
Now, Jonathan, how many locomotives and passenger cars do you have, and how many people do you plan to carry this summer? So we are fortunate that the EBT is, is relatively intact. The railroad is practically frozen in time in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s. We've got almost everything. We have six narrow-gauge steam locomotives, number 12, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. There was never a 13. Railroads are a little superstitious. Built between 1911 and 1920. And so we've got those. Number 16 was restored to operation this year. It's the first of the six that we're bringing back to life. And it started running again for the first time in 67 years on February 1st, which was pretty remarkable to watch. We have dozens of freight cars left and, and a lot of fun stuff that we do photo freights with. And then, of course, we have our passenger equipment. We actually built four brand-new passenger cars last year to help take the load off the historic fleet. But we have four original uh, wooden passenger cars that still exist, a beautiful parlor car, some historic combines. So we've got a lot of train cars there and a lot to, a lot to see. And then I, I would say that, you know, uh, this year we expect to carry close to 30,000 passengers, and this is only really our, our first season fully up and running since purchasing the railroad three years ago. Wow. Very nice. Pennsylvania is also the home of Steamtown, the only national park with moving parts that operates steam trains and trolleys in Scranton. I understand East Broadtop also has a trolley museum, or would you call it that? Oh, yes. Yep. The, they are a separate organization from us. They, they're railways to yesterday, uh, but they're an absolutely amazing museum. They, they complement the East Broadtop uh, experience very well. Um, they've got trolley cars from Johnstown, York, PA, Philadelphia. They've got uh, cars as far away as San Diego. They've got some cars from Portugal. They've got cars from all over the place. And I was never necessarily a trolley guy until I got here and started learning about them. Uh, I'm a steam guy through and through, but gosh, trolley cars are, are a lot of fun, and they're very unique pieces. You know, trains took you from point A to point B. Trolleys took you from the train station back home or from home to work. So really at the EBT, you get the complete picture of what America's industry, you know, industrial age looked like. Do you operate on weekends and holidays only or seven days a week? Right now, we're operating Wednesday through Sunday. Uh, we run at least Friday through Saturday from May to October, and then Memorial Day to Labor Day, five days a week, Wednesday through Sunday. Um, we do operate pumpkin trains, Christmas trains, Easter trains. We've got trains year-round. Our regular season is May to October. Hmm. So what are your schedule and routes like? Do you have any open cars to make it easier for passengers to take pictures? So if you come down and ride, we have trains at 11 a.m., 1 p.m., and 3 p.m. Most of the time, that's our schedule. Of course, special events and things like that vary. But most of the time, three steam departures a day, three classes of service on the train. We have our enclosed coach with comfy seats, viewing windows, and, of course, a roof over your head. We have our open-air cars, which uh, have bench-style seats that face outward, allowing you to look out and get the beautiful views and take great pictures. And then we even let you ride in a historic caboose if you'd like to. It was built right there at the EBT, and it's got the cupola up top where you can get the bird's-eye view of the train, views out the back. Really, we've got something for everybody on board. And where do you find replacement parts, especially for the locomotives, and who does that work? Are all your employees volunteers? We are fortunate that we do have a paid staff of, of core mechanical folks and, and operating crews that help keep the railroad running, but 
We do have a volunteer sister organization, the Friends of the East Broadtop, that literally help us raise buildings out of the ground, keep things stable, restore uh, equipment, and, and uh, we've, we really wouldn't be where we are right now without the Friends who've been dutifully along since uh, they, they formed in the 80s. Um, and then as far as spare parts go, a fun fact is that the EBT has a whole lot of new old stock of parts. That railroad closed in 1956, but they probably could have kept going for another decade with the amount of stock that they had. And then when we do need new parts, you have to make them. You can't order them on Amazon. You have to actually have them cast for you at a foundry or things like that. So we do have patterns and prints and drawings that help us do that, but it's fairly tedious. And the amount of folks that know how to do that specialized work, you could probably count on your fingers and toes. So we're fortunate to have some of them at the EBT. We're talking with Jonathan Smith of the East Broadtop Railroad. And, Jonathan, do you train your engineers, firemen, and brakemen, or do you hire them from other railroads? The railroad world is very small, as you can imagine, and that's not a pun with us being narrow gauge. It's even smaller <laughs> if you're narrow gauge. Um, so we are lucky that, that there are folks that know how to do this, that raise their hands and want to come out and help because the EBT is so significant. So uh, we do get a lot of folks that come in from other railroads that already have that background, but at the same time, uh, we are in the business of teaching new people how to do this stuff, how to carry on the traditions of shoveling coal and running an engine and, and you know, lining switches and doing things the manual, old-fashioned way. That's, that's what we're about. That's what we're trying to do. We're a nonprofit with an educational mission, so uh, we try to train as best we can. Again, no pun intended. <laughs> and does East Broadtrop have a, a gift shop or a concession stand? We do. We have our gift shop located in our 1906 train station. We've got a whole lot of apparel, merchandise, collectibles, a whole lot of stuff that helps go towards the restoration of the railroad. And um, right now we're, we're uh, filling the vendors with, with food trucks, local food trucks that come down and help us uh, feed all of our hungry passengers during our operating days and special events. But um, we also have a lot of local coffee shops, restaurants in the area, Central Pennsylvania is uh, absolutely beautiful, and you take a nice little drive. We even have an ice cream stand right along the track. It's not run by us. They've been there for a long time. It's a classic part of visiting the EBTs and go sit at the ice cream stand and watch a train roll by. How nice does that sound? Mm. Do passengers need to make advanced reservations with EBT? We always recommend them, that's for sure, especially for our Christmas trains, pumpkin trains. Those tend to sell out relatively quickly. Uh, regular summer day, seats are almost always available. You can come down to the ticket window and pick them up, but we always recommend going online to eastbroadtop.com, looking at our schedule, planning your day, and booking your tickets in advance. It's just the easiest way to do it. And what about special events time to coincide with July 4th or Labor Day? So we have just a lot going on uh, throughout the year. Um, we have our first responder appreciation day coming up in July. So you can come down and a portion of your ticket and whatever else you decide to donate will go towards the local first responder group this year. It's the rock or I'm sorry, the uh, Robertsdale fire company who are open to upgrade some of their equipment. So every year we pick a fire company or an EMS service and we try to help them out. That's right around 4th of July. Uh, but our largest events of the year, for sure, are our uh, Peanuts, the Great Pumpkin Patch Express. This year we're hosting Snoopy and Charlie Brown at the EBT for, for October. They'll be there every weekend, and you can go get your perfect pumpkin from the Sincere Pumpkin Patch. And then 
In uh, November and December, we have Christmas in Coal Country, a very homey, classic, cozy Christmas train that takes you through what it was like to spend Christmas in Coal Country here at, in central Pennsylvania. So it's, it's a, definitely a warm event and a cold time of year. Hmm. Unfortunately, we are just about out of time. So our guest tonight has been Jonathan Smith of the East Broad Top Railroad. How do our listeners get more information? Again, give that website, Jonathan. Eastbroadtop.com is the best place to go. Thank you for being our guest on Travel Itch Radio. And that's it for this edition of Travel Itch. Next week, same time, same station, we'll travel to Chattanooga in keeping with the train theme and learn all about that scenic and historic travel destination. Now, this is Dan Fosberg, along with Mary Ellen Nugent-Lee, saying thank you for your time this time. Until next time, good night and stay safe.